It is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord, amen, that we may rejoice in who God is and the, the great mercy that He has shown us today. Just to give us the introduction here, we have been in Matthew 14 the last couple of weeks. We have seen the death of John the Baptist. We have seen the defeating of the 5,000 with great compassion of our Lord. After the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat to have some time. And at that time, the people were coming to him. He gave, he felt compassion. And he shows compassion by supplying the need, the physical need, the, the healing, and all the things that took place. The, the disciples for the first time being used by God in his miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which in reality was anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people with, that were fed and were satisfied. And that's a perfect picture of our Christ, because He abundantly satisfied. But if you look as He feeds the 5,000, the excitement that was building at this time, at the end of that, when everybody was satisfied, all the needs were met at the time, the excitement that was coming to this point, and the crescendo of nothing but mere flesh. We have crescendos in different ways, but here it's the, it's the exposure of the flesh, because over in John 6 it says, that the people were going to overtake Jesus, overpower Jesus to make him king, make him king so they wouldn't have to work anymore, make him king, that they wouldn't have to worry about food anymore, make him king to, so they wouldn't be under the rule of the Romans anymore, make him king so they would supply their every selfish need that they could possibly have. You can see the excitement just building up to that. We want him as king, we want him as king, and Jesus says... No. To the flesh. We see in verse 22, I'll read the passage and we'll go back to it. Verse 22, immediately. He made the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And it was the fourth watch of the night. He came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took a hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. So we have somewhat of a layout here of what's going to be taking place. The, the title to the sermon, I've labeled it from faith from shore to shore. Faith from shore to shore. And that's basically what we're doing in our life every day, just from one shore to the other, from faith to faith to faith to faith. Growing in our faith and loving this Christ, who He truly is. We will see... Action faith, confident faith, and true faith will affect every part of our lives. We see here at the, this emotional time when all the, uh, uh, the feeding of the fifteen to 20,000 people, the excitement that was taking place right here, uh, Jesus and them trying to make Jesus king uh, for the wrong reason, Jesus says no. Immediately he constrained the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead to the other side. It's interesting right here, they were on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. They needed to cross the northern end of Capernaum. Mark tells us they were headed to Bethesda. John says they were headed to Capernaum. Both were side by side, and they ended up in Gennesaret. Interesting. Basically, what I see, what we see here, Jesus in Matthew, it doesn't even say where to go. It just says, go to the other side. And sometimes in our faith, God would give us this direction. We don't know where it's going. Amen. We just are to get out and do what the Lord has told us to do. But in protection, it's interesting that this directed faith, this true faith, direction comes from God. And this true faith has direction and obedience unto God in the direction from the falseness of the world. So it's not okay to believe in a Jesus. It's not okay to believe in a God. It's not okay to believe in a religion. It's not okay for that. Why? Because Jesus makes it plain here, no, you need to believe in me and me alone. No other way is there that you can come. Not by religion, not by works, not by any other way, or your make-believe, God, it will not work. I am the God of the Bible. I am the one, the sovereign one, the creating, uh, the creator of all things. All things are made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made. He is the creator. And we're going to see His power here as we continue to go on. But first, He has to separate the falseness from the truth. And so in the direction of the true faith, you think to yourself at that, well, because they have true faith... God can direct them. They give him permission to direct him. If you think about what the scripture is saying here, with the false faith, he's directing them too. Do you see that? He's going to send them into a boat to go to the other side, whether they know where to go or not, but going to the other side uh, into a, a storm that uh, uh, they will be meeting up to. But then they separate the falseness and you are going away. Imagine trying to convince 
If you weren't God, you wouldn't be able to do this, but try uh, tell 20,000 people you go home now. You go home, you're not getting anything else. You go home, what you are wanting is all wrong. But the ones that God has ordained to for this faith, he, he separates the faultness. He does not want them to even hear it. Separates. It's not okay to listen to false doctrine, amen? Do not think that you, it's okay. Do you listen to some of, the, some of the stuff that's taking place out there today? It's not okay. Jesus makes that point clear. But I find it interesting, in this false faith, he directs them as well. Separates them from the truth. The false faith of this excitement, which they're under control of. Could you imagine the disciples after two years of being with Jesus, and, and they're, they're saying that this is, this is finally coming ahead, you're going to finally be king and everything. Could you imagine them getting in their flesh? Saying, all right, this is it, this is easy. Jesus says, no, this is not it. The falseness, you go away. You've been fed physically. But I want you, my true disciples, to go away. Separate quickly. We see that this source of faith that we have laid out before us here. I just want to read something to you. You can turn there. It's going to be Ephesians chapter 2. We all know it pretty well. In verse 8 it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So Jesus Christ is the source of this true faith. He is the one that controls it. He is the one that gives it. He is the one that doesn't give it. But there will be an account that will be uh, always, you'll have to stand before God when the account of what you have done with the truth of God's word. God is in control, amen? Are you okay with that? He controls everything. He's sovereign. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Because we're not believing in fairy tales here. It's the power of God that this faith works upon. It's a gift from God. It's not of yourselves. And it's proven even in the Scripture. But this source of faith we see as he sent the crowd away, he goes up on the mountain to be alone with the Father. Hearing from God. I find that to be very interesting because when, with the false faith, with the entertainment of the world, one thing that you're not going to do is have time to be alone with God. Amen? Or oh my. You, you're not going to cut out this time because the, the excitement of the world is what's got your control. The, uh, the candy, uh, uh, the eye candy stuff that you, you, you just got to have, you got to run after, get your supply of this world, right? Uh, you are not going to set aside time uh, to be alone with God. Now I say this to my conviction, and I hope it's 
to your strengthening. What does your alone time with God look like? Is there any time of hearing from God? And he's turning off the TV, turning off all the things of the world, cutting it off, and looking upon this God in prayer, communion, conversation, and even as we have had in Sunday school, just being still. Being still and know that He is God. Now in your mind, it should be splitting in a sense. I want to be still and enjoy God. But on this other hand, if there's something that pulls me away, how easy is it for you not to be at church today? How easy is it for you to be somewhere else? On Bible studies and uh, let alone those things, but in prayer, how easy is it for something to distract you, to pull you away for your, from your alone time with God? Well, the question really lies when you think about it, is there any alone time with God, and do I desire it at all? But Jesus did. He went up to the mountain by himself, to pray. And when it was evening, he was alone. We see the direction of true faith. We also see the action, verse 24. says the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It was already in the middle of the sea, three to four miles, whatever that may be exactly. But notice here that the boat was already long, a long distance from the land. Meaning Jesus couldn't, couldn't not have been on the shore or in shallow water. They were in the middle of the lake, battered. Because many of us are coming in today battered. We're battered by, from this world and the, the business uh, of the world and all the things that could t uh, take our attention from paying bills, from uh, all the stuff that just could easily take our minds off the Word and, and forget that Jesus Christ is our portion and our problem uh, is uh, our portion now and therefore we are losing focus. It was battered by the waves for the wind was contrary. In other words, the headwind was right in their face. They've been paddling for hours. It's in the uh, late, the next verse, it tells us in the, it's anywhere from 3 o'clock uh, to 6 a.m. in the morning, right? They have been paddling for a while. Contrary uh, against the headwind, they're getting nowhere. There's more than one person in the boat. Don't think Peter's the only one in the boat. There's more than one people in the boat. You can almost picture it as the church. But uh, just keeping our mind focused on this, contrary. Anything contrary to you today? The world is contrary to you in what you believe and what you stand on. If you're not having a problem with that, it's because you're just like them. 
If you're not having uh, struggles that causes you to look upon the Lord, that causes you to say, Lord, save me. If you're not having that kind of uh, uh, week or that kind of day when all the things of the world is pulling you away to look at the waves, look at the, uh, the batteredness of the, the waves battering and beating on you all the time, we see as a contrast, just the opposite what the world wants of you. But you... Having this faith, even though in contrary times, seems that everything, everybody is against you. I mean, you know, if you think about the actual picture that's being painted here, it's being in the boat, the waves are going all over the place. There's, the, it's blowing all the water on you. You're paddling, you're paddling, you're paddling, paddling. You're wore out. Some of us are wore out today. Some of us don't even realize we're wore out. Some of us just need to get alone with God. And as we see, even in terrifying times, picking up verse 25, middle of the night. Listen to this. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now paint that picture. You're, you're up here rowing. Everybody's rowing. They're both trying to get somewhere. It's not going anywhere. Everything's blowing in your face. Everything is contrary. Everything that you do, there's a struggle. Then all of a sudden, you see Jesus, or a ghost at this time, walking on the water. Could you imagine what they were seeing? Have you ever had a terrifying experience with God? I know you've had terrifying experience in this world, but has it ever been with God? Because the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. But look, they were terrified, they even misclaimed it. It is a ghost. They cried out in fear. But I want you to see that even in fear, we see in verse 27, but immediately, but immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. That's the encouraging word that we have today with all the storms that we have going on today. There's not nobody, there's not a person in here does that does not have some kind of storm that is taking place today. But this God of the Bible is the one that is sovereign. This God of the Bible is the one that says, take courage. Immediately he says, take courage. Immediately he says, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. It is the, it is the I am. Do not be afraid. It is the one that created this whole scene. It is the one that created the winds, the waves. It's the one that created the problem. It is I. Take courage. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I will conform you into the image of my son. And even as Christ is saying this, we see that is great mercy. They have seen a lot of things at this time. 
And you think to yourself that you wouldn't be able to see how they could fail in their faith. Even though it's a little faith, they still have faith. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage and do not be afraid. Peter goes on and says to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now that's, that's a pretty bold statement. But you also see the heart of Peter. Lord, I'm terrified. Everything is against me. You tell me to take courage in you. Lord, I want to be with you. Is that not what he's saying? Lord, if it's you, come to me. He's not testing Christ. He's showing his heart. Lord, I want to be where, you, where, where you're at. It's not a test. It's a test to us. Do we want this Christ of the Bible? Do we want the God of the Bible that controls everything? Do we want this God? Do we want to be where this God is at? Do we want to set aside everything that might distort our view and find comfort in this God? Where is it that you're wanting to rest at today? What is it that you want today? Be honest with yourself. Do you want to know this Christ? Do you want to know more of this Christ? Is your heart saying, Lord, I, I want to be with you? I want you to, to imagine you being here at this time looking upon this Christ, looking upon our desire. Lord, have me come to you. See, it seems like to me in our Reformed thinking, we forget what the word means to come. Come! If you don't know Christ, come. If you don't know Christ, get out of the pew. If you don't know the Christ of the Bible, come. It's not a bad word. It's a good word when it's used properly, when God is doing the drawing, amen? You come. But sometimes in our Reformed thinking, because it's been so perverted, so twisted, so misguided, we say don't come. Not out loud, but I would say, come. We would say, you come. Jesus commanded Peter to come out, walk on water, come to him. Nobody after this or before this has walked on water. Can you walk on water? Jesus is supreme, superior over all things. We have a perverted view at times when we think about 
take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. And he says, come. Peter asked him, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. Now, most of the time, I, I have been known to pick on Peter because he's always putting his foot in his mouth, speak, speaking too soon, too quick. But here, I think we see his heart. We see his heart more than his mouth. Would you ask God, Lord, can I ask me, tell me to come, to command me to come? Well, that takes some faith. If he commands it, it's going to happen. So he comes out, and he walks on water, and he says, Come, and Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water, and he came toward Christ. Peter walked on water. And the little faith that he had, he had it in action, it came forth, he walked on water by the power of God. Amen? Only by the power of God. Only by uh, true uh, given faith that only God can give. Not this of the world. Not this, come to Jesus for your best life now. No, we're just going to be trouble. And after two years of, of going all through this and, and if all the excitement coming up, maybe this is the time when he will put him on the throne of this world. And he separates all that to continue to, to, to teach his disciples. I don't know about you, but if I was in the middle of the uh, an ocean, no matter if it was three or four miles or a hundred miles, it wouldn't matter, and uh, been paddling for hours, not getting anywhere, and then all the, the salt water and everything getting in your face, and in the middle of the night, you're wore out, you look out and you see something that looks like a ghost, would you not be terrified? What I'm saying now, if you think about being terrified, being terrified is before this God with a wrongful thinking of who He is. You should be terrified. We all came to Christ terrified. Not just to pick up somewhere and I want to be a Christian now. God reveals himself to us. But Peter got out of the boat. Peter walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. And it happened. The church was with him. You can look at the boat as the church. Everybody has the same effort. They all were working for the same reason to get across. What Jesus told them to do is get across the lake. That's what the, the whole church was doing. They were in one mind, one accord at that time, striving to be obedient unto the Lord. Then he just comes more, and he gives the increase. So says, seeing the wind, and now this is where he takes his eyes off of Christ. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I don't want to just read that, but I don't want to put a bunch of excitement that's not really there. Uh, I don't know that I could be as excited as the text really uh, needs to be excited. We should be excited about this right here. Why? Because him seeing the wind, he got his eyes off of Christ. He was bold enough to get out of the boat. 
He was bold enough to put this faith into action, not just talk about how great my faith is. He put it into action. He got out of the boat, and he walked toward Christ. And as soon as we, and as soon as I, as soon as anybody takes their eyes off of Christ and starts worrying about the storm, what happens? We begin to fail. We begin to sink. We begin to forget who God is. But at the same time, being frightened, being scared. I mean, can you picture yourself there sinking in the, in the water? I got to walk on it for a few minutes, whatever that may look like. I got to walk on it for just a second. I was coming to Christ, and as soon as I took my eyes off of Him, I began to sink. Then the excitement in, in him, uh, thinking that he was going to drown, and whether it's a fast sinking or slow sinking, whatever it may be, uh, Jesus cries out, Lord, save me! And see, that's our life. That's our life every day. We have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved, amen? From who? From what? From God. By the wrath of God, we will be saved. But our life, our prayer, our cry... Out to him, Lord, save me, strengthen me. Even though he had little faith, he had faith. Amen? We all have a measure of faith. Those that have been truly received in Christ. Immediately, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter, did you not think, did you not think that I was, I was going to save you? Peter, did you not know that once I've done a work in you, you will always be mine? You may fail. This is our Christian life. We have a, a room full of failure starting here. It's nothing to brag about. It's to our shame, but it's also a strengthening. Why? Because Christ is the only one that can save us. Christ is the only one that can strengthen us through His Word. Isn't that glorious? This is the sovereign God of the universe. And as I said in Sunday school... Saves a worm like me. Lord, save me. Stretched out his hand. Took hold of him. You know, we may, you may be able to look at this as a negative. Oh, a little faith, why did you doubt? But I just couldn't in my study make it that way. Because I think again, why did you doubt me? I'm the one that spoke this world into existence. Why did you doubt me? Well, you know why he doubted him, because he got his eyes on the problem. 
verses on the, solve, the problem solver. He got his eyes on something else that was shifty, uh, uh, like quick uh, sand. But you, you look on Christ and there's a solid foundation through his word. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus saved him. It pulled him back upon his faith, giving him this confidence in his faith. Confidence knowing that when they got in the boat, we see this confident faith when they got in the boat. The wind stopped. Now, we've already had an experience with that when the storms, that when, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? We've already had that over in Matthew uh, chapter 8. But now, it goes one step further. He got in the boat and the wind stopped. He got in the boat and the wind stopped because they were helped by God. They were helped by Christ. They were saved by the God of the universe. What great mercy he has shown us today. The wind stopped. The trouble stopped. Why? Because he was near Christ. Christ was in the boat. And those that were in the boat worshipped him and said, You are certainly God's son. Worship. They worshiped him. This is the first time that the disciples come to the point of verbally saying, you are certainly God's son. This is a mark on their life, and it should be a mark on our life. Amen? Have you ever said that, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, not by words, but by a true heart and a true mind, because God has done a work of faith, a grace work in your heart? It causes you to say, save me, Lord. You are the only one that can save me in all the storms that assail. What confidence that we come into this place, even though we have been battered, all week, come into this place today to worship the King of Glory. Is there something that's stopping you from worshiping the King of Glory? That means because you've got your eyesight on the wrong object. If your eyes are on Christ, you know that you failed this week. I failed, you failed. But I don't want to say that so much that we don't even think, dumb down the consequences of sin or think sin is lightly. But if you have been able to look upon this God and worship Him, He is worthy to be praised. All His attributes belonging only to God, the self-existence, uh, uh, co-eternal, uh, all-knowing, uh, all-powerful, sovereign God. This will change your life. This will change your life forevermore. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the object of our love. None of us deserve to come through the storm. None of us. But by His grace, by His mercy, by you calling upon Him, save me, Lord. He pulls you up, strengthens you, encourages you. In this conclusion, we see the effects of faith. This kind of faith that comes out of the Bible will change your life. 
Now here we see that when the Peter, especially, and the rest of the disciples, when the day of Pentecost comes, there, there's, a, there's a bold faith there, amen? And now we have the day when we have come into uh, uh, the family of God by the power of God, and now the Spirit dwells in us, and man, this changes our lives. We're not perfect. We're only perfect through Jesus Christ and Him alone, which makes us what? Cling to Him. Cling to Him. Lord, save me. What is my desire, Lord? I want to be with you. Is that the, what does my prayer life look like, Lord? I want to be with you. What does that look like? Faith is an action word. Amen. It'll affect every part of your life. For some, I would say for every one of us, it causes us to get out of the boat of comfort. It causes us to, to look upon this God, God before me, who could be against me. It causes me to say, Lord, save me. Because I, I, I'm constantly failing, Lord. I'm constantly getting my eyes on the storm and not keeping my eyes on you. I'm constantly having watching TV versus reading your Bible. I'm constantly doing this versus having prayer with you, being alone with you. I'm constantly, that is constantly in my life. But Lord, by your great mercy, by your great grace, direct my faith that I may see my need, that I must have this Christ. Amen. This Christ of the Bible is the most important thing that we could possibly come to. It's our God. Certainly, He is the God of the Bible. We'll close with this out of Isaiah 26. Just read a couple verses here. In that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah, we have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. No one that remains faithful, steph, uh, the one who, that remains faithful, the steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. He is our solid foundation. He is our only hope. It's not just, Lord, save me today. Lord, save me every day. Give me strength to honor you with my mind my actions, my desires. Let me be that living sacrifice unto you. Nothing's more important than these words that God has given us today. So we pray as we come to the end of this sermon, I pray that it's been an encouragement to you. Jesus says, be encouraged. I pray that if it's a place to be convicted in your life, I pray that he does that. I pray that by the power of God's Spirit, no, things are not right in my life. Lord, save me is a reality in all of our lives.
I need Him every hour of every day for the glory of the Lamb. We pray these things. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your truth. Lord, I know that just so much more could have been unpacked in this. But Lord, I thank You for not letting me get off target, but just seeing the heart of Your compassion, seeing the heart of Your disciples wanting to be with You, that You would build us up and confident knowing that, Lord, You will save us. Let us not doubt this God. Let Him be forever before us. That we would seek Him with our whole heart, not just mere words. Lord, what are You doing in our lives? Not why, but what? Lord, help us to examine ourselves. See if we be in the faith at all. Help us to ask this question, Lord. Lord, do I love you? Do I love you? And we pray, Lord, that that, that answer is no. Don't let them eat. Don't let them sleep. Don't let them find any comfort, Lord, until they call upon you to save them. Do that work only you can do. Help us, Lord, that the sovereign one of Israel, the holy one of Israel, our God, our Christ, our King, we receive the glory of it all. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.